Hello and welcome to Hillcrest To Go. I'm your host, John Parker. Today, Dr. Tom Goodman shares a message titled, Worship with the Lord's People on the Lord's Day. Now, let's listen together to an important message from Dr. Tom Goodman. Well, I began last week a new sermon series called Re-Engage. It's about four habits that are meant to counteract four dysfunctions. As a pastor, I see four dysfunctions taking place in our broader society that are having a negative impact upon individual Christians and whole churches. And so each week across the next four weeks, I want to share with you one of those four dysfunctions And I want to share with you the habit that God has provided his people so that we might counteract each one of those dysfunctions. The first dysfunction in our broader society today that is impacting individual Christians and whole churches is isolation. After a year and a half of pandemic isolation, psychiatrists and psychologists are beginning to observe a new phenomenon taking place in many people. They have coined it cave syndrome. Psychiatrist Arthur Bregman says that cave syndrome occurs when what were meant to be temporary measures to protect ourselves from a virus become entrenched patterns of behavior. After 16 months of pandemic restrictions, according to Bregman, people have, in his words, internalized the current lifestyle into a dysfunctional baseline of behavior. In other words, he says, it's time we came out of our caves. Of course, immunocompromised people still need to limit their risk of exposure and Unvaccinated people are still defenseless against a highly infectious disease, but doctors are observing that those who currently face little risk from serious illness are nevertheless instead facing a big risk from prolonged isolation. What kind of risk would you face in prolonged isolation? Alan Teo is an associate professor of psychiatry at Oregon Health and Science University. In an article for Scientific American Magazine, Dr. Teo said that he and his colleagues are seeing in people today something that resembles agoraphobia. Agoraphobia is a fear of crowds and a fear of open spaces and cave syndrome let me assure you, is not agoraphobia, but it is something like that, according to Dr. Teo. Dr. Teo says that some people are focusing on what is for them an unlikely risk of death from infection while ignoring what he calls the risk of dying from being lonely and disconnected. That is one of the dysfunctions in our society today that is impacting individual Christians and entire churches. And God has given us a habit to help us counteract cave syndrome. We are to worship with the Lord's people on the Lord's day. Let's take a look at what God has told us through his servant who wrote Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart 
and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now three times in this passage, he uses the little two-word phrase to begin a clause. Let us. It shows up in verse 22 and in 23 and in 24. Now the first two times where that clause begins with the words, let us, those are commands that could be done in your cave, alone, by yourself, but not the third one. So in verse 22 we read, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings. You can do that in your cave, alone, by yourself. In fact, I hope every morning or every evening, You're opening up your Bible, you're seeing what God has to say to you, and you're going to say a few things to him in your personal time of devotional and prayer. And again in verse 23, the second let us phrase, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. We don't necessarily have to come out of our cave to fulfill that one either. I hope that you are holding unswervingly to the faith that you profess. I hope you're personally staying strong in your beliefs, fighting doubt, never wavering. But this third let us phrase in verse 24 can only be done if we get out of our cave. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, going to verse 25, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. So clearly we are to meet with the Lord's people. But when and how often? There's some Bible verses that I'll show you on the screen and you can also find in your sermon notes. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes this. Now, about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Now, Paul is speaking about a benevolence fund. It was a special fund. It wasn't offerings to support the local church. It was a special fund that he was collecting among all the Gentile churches, particularly the ones that he had founded. And it was to go to uh, Jewish Christians in Jerusalem who were suffering so much at that time. It was a way of Gentile people thanking Jewish people for uh, bringing the Messiah to the world and introducing them to the Messiah. But the interesting thing is, Paul says... Now, here's what I want you to do. On the first day of every week, I want you to set aside a sum of money. Now, clearly from the letter, he wasn't, he didn't know when he was going to show up. And when he showed up, that's when he would gather up the offering, gather up the funds that had been collected and bring it to Jerusalem. But why does he say then, on the first day of every week, I want you to set aside a sum of money? Because that's when they were accustomed to showing up together. They had been showing up on the Sabbath, on the last day of the week, on Saturday. But now they were showing up on the first day of the week, on Sunday, so that they might worship and sing and celebrate and give an offering. Why the first day of the week? What happened that changed all of these rigorous Old Testament commands about worshiping the Lord on a day of rest, on the Sabbath, and now they're to do this on the first day of the week? Why? Well, another passage will help us here. John chapter 20, verse 1. We read early on when? On the first day of the week, 
While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. What is this a reference to? This is the story of the crucifixion and resurrection. Jesus died by crucifixion on a Friday. He was buried in a tomb. And early on the first day of the week, uh, they found that Jesus had been raised gloriously back to life. This is why the Apostle John called Sunday the Lord's Day. We see this in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. He was on a prison island called Patmos at the time, and he wrote, On the Lord's day I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. And that voice commanded him to write seven letters to seven churches. Now I think this is remarkable. John was an old man at this time. He was probably in his 80s. It had been 50 years at least since he had first seen Jesus alive after dying on that cross. But every Sunday he woke up and he said, this is the day it happened. This is when I saw my Jesus alive again. Isn't this a remarkable thing that 50 years later, every Sunday, it was fresh to him. It was new to him. He remembered again what had happened on the first day of the week, those 50 or 60 years earlier. What this means is that as far as the Apostle John was concerned, every Sunday for him was Easter Sunday. Now what do you do on Easter Sunday? It's a special day, isn't it? I mean, you know, you're, you're not scrambling to try to figure out what your kids are going to wear on Easter Sunday. You plan for it ahead of time. You plan ahead of time who you're going to invite, who you're going to have over for dinner afterwards, because it's Easter. It's special. You don't wake up on Easter Sunday and roll over in bed and say to your marriage partner, well, we're going to go to church today. You don't peek your head into the room where your sleeping children are and go, should I wake them up for church today? No, you know, this was a busy weekend and I had them out late last night. I'll let them sleep in. No, it's Easter. And so you get them up, you get them together, you get them to church. What we find in the Bible is that every Sunday, ought to be treated like that. Every Sunday is Easter Sunday, according to the Bible. Just like the Apostle John on the island of Patmos, whenever we wake up on a Sunday, we ought to go, this is when it happened. It was on this day, the first day of the week. Jesus died for my sins, but he rose again in victory, making me an overcomer over the things that frustrate me in this life here. Make, and it makes me an overcomer into eternity as well because of what Jesus did every Sunday. We're to get together with the Lord's people on the Lord's day and remember that very thing. When you are asked by your children, by your spouse, when the weekend begins, you pick them up from school on Friday afternoon or uh, your marriage partner finally gets home together and you're all, all together on Friday afternoon and somebody asks, well, what are we going to do this weekend? You need to say to your family, well, I know one thing we're going to do. On the Lord's day, we're going together with the Lord's people because that is what is commanded in Scripture. Now, you might think, but you know, you guys at Hillcrest, you've done such a fantastic job in these live streams. <laughs> and uh, over the last year and a half, you've just continued to sort of up your game in such a way that, you know, I can, I can log on on YouTube. I can log on on, on uh, the Roku device on my television set. And, and that's being with the Lord's people on the Lord's Day, isn't it? Well, sort of. You know, there's a big debate going on now among church leaders about whether all the 
technology and all the live stream options that so many of us created during the last year and a half of pandemic was a blessing or a curse. Some are saying it was a real blessing because it has enabled us to be able to have people more regularly able to be with us wherever they are in any point around the world. And others are pe people are saying, no, it's a curse because what it has done is it more intensified the consumer mindset that more and more Christians have been falling into over the years. That's another dysfunction, by the way. A consumer mindset that clicks around on the TV, clicks around on the various streaming services to find the coolest service to watch, to find the service that has all the, all the gizmos, all the bells and whistles that go with it. And we can watch that, you know, instead of being a part of our own local church. I read an article recently that said there is no such thing as digital church. So which is it? Is it a blessing or is it a curse? Well, you know, many of you know that over the years, I don't like an either-or answer when I'm given an either-or question. And to me, it's really just a matter of asking the question, what is good and what is better and what is best? I want you to think about the way that uh, many of us in here watched uh, the Longhorns play for the national championship in early 2006. That win over USC remains the highest rated college national football champion, uh, championship game of all time. It was viewed by 22% of American households with a television set. They were the only two unbeaten teams of the season and they faced off in a back and forth contest. In fact, the Longhorn victory was not secured until the game's final 19 seconds. On a fourth down play, Vince Young ran for a nine yard touchdown, ending the game with a 41 to 38 win. And all God's people said, Amen. every time, Every time I share a sports analogy, that's when I get the amens in this church. I do not understand it. <laughs> now listen, there are three ways that you can tell somebody that you watched that game. The good, the better, and the best. The good. You can tell people you didn't see it live, but you watch a video archive of the game later. Or you watch it on the Longhorn Network because they show it 15 times a week. <laughs> or the better. The better is you can tell people that you watched it live on TV along with millions of other households and you saw it as, as it was happening on your television set. But then there's the best. Anybody who was in the Rose Bowl that evening would certainly say there's simply no replacement for actually being in the stands while Vince Young crossed that goal line in the last seconds of the game. When it comes to worshiping with your church family, there's the good and there's the better. And there's the best. There's the good. You can watch the archive of our service at any time. Thank God we've got the technology and the technicians that make that possible. Some people have work schedules or travel schedules that make it impossible for them to see it while it's happening. You can watch the archive. The better. You can watch the live stream with several hundred of your church family as it happens. But then there is the best. You can be in the building as worship takes place. So if your work schedule keeps you from coming, watch our service later in the archive. If your health keeps you from coming, watch the live stream as it happens. But the best choice is to gather with the Lord's people on the Lord's day. I remember one Christmas at my parents' house. It was also noisy and chaotic with all our extended family gathered, piled up into this living room. And in the course of one of my conversations with one of my siblings, I looked across the room and there was my dad, he died four years ago now, but there was my dad in that gathering and, and he was just smiling and he was looking so pleased at all this chaos and all this noise all around him. 
My dad always liked to get together one-on-one -on -one with each one of us, his kids, his grandkids, and just have some intimate one-on-one -on -one time, having conversation about how lives are going without all the noise, without all the chaos. But it brought him absolute delight to his face to see all of us gathered together, the extended family, catching up, enjoying each other. God, your Heavenly Father, is like that. He likes some one-on-one -on -one time with you, sitting there in your cave, reading the Word, talking to Him in prayer. But if you want to delight your Heavenly Father, get together with the chaos and with the noise and with the activity of your forever family, and see what pleasure it brings to the face of the Father. So three times in Hebrews chapter 10, we are told, let us. Twice, we are told something that we can do in our cave, alone by ourselves. But then once, we are told, let us see how we can spur one another on to love and to good deeds, not forsaking the assembling as in the habit of some. Now in Hebrews chapter 10, before these three commands are given... Uh, he tells us this new reality that we are in as believers. Look at verses 19 through 21. He says, Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, he called it a new and living way, open to us through the curtain that is his body. And then it goes on to say, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, these are the things we ought to do. What is he talking about there? He's talking about Jesus' death, and he's talking about Jesus' resurrection. He's talking about the work that Jesus did on the cross, dying for our sins, taking our sins away so that we have access now. He has opened up a way for us to come into uh, a relationship with the Heavenly Father here and hereafter. But we don't just memorialize a dead Savior. He rose again in victory. His Spirit lives within us today to make us overcomers. And so therefore, let us figure out how we can spur one another on to love and good deeds, not forsaking the assembling. So what this means is that gathering with the Lord's people on the Lord's day is your reset button. All of us, our, our lives are so filled with technology today, we're, we're, we understand that analogy. From time to time, our technology fails to work as efficiently as it should, and so we have to reset it. You and I need to reset on a regular basis. Every week as the days go by, we fail to operate the way God programmed us to operate. Pride starts to show up. Rebellion starts to feel normal. Disappointment and discouragement over circumstances make us start to lose our faith. The device of our heart isn't running in the right way. And so we come into here with the Lord's people on the Lord's day and we are reset. We remember through the songs that we sing and, the, and we remember through the sermon as it is preached and we remember as the Sunday school lesson is communicated that the stories are true. That Jesus died, he said, to take away our sin. And that Jesus rose again in victory to make us overcomers over this life's frustrations and over death itself. Coming in here is the way we reset to that reality. There's some things we can do in our caves, alone, in isolation, but there's some things we can't. And as soon as you're healthy, uh, to, healthy enough to do so and able enough to do so, you should gather with the Lord's people on the Lord's day. That's the first habit you and I need to restore after coming out of 16 months of this pandemic, God willing.
Let's go to the Lord in prayer. I'm going to pray for some of you to come to faith today, to open up your heart to the Jesus who died on that cross to take away sin and rose again in victory. And I'm going to pray that you and I as believers would reset back to what we believe. Father, thank you for giving us a reset button called worship. Thank you for giving us a time and a place and a people where at the start of every week we can remember again that the stories are true. Our sins really have been taken away. The resurrected Jesus really does live within his people to make us overcomers. Today, may those who aren't Christians believe this, and may those who believe this reset their lives to this astonishing reality. In Jesus' name, amen. This concludes our podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Join us next time as Dr. Goodman shares a sermon titled, Make the Cause of Christ Your Highest Call. I'm your host, John Parker, and this has been Hillcrest to Go. For more information, please contact us at hillcrest.church.